Welcome to the Redemptification Podcast, where we focus on inspiring people and communities and starting conversations around the topic of redemptification. Redemptification we define as the creative work of redeeming a person or place to its intended beauty and glory. I'm your host, John Marsh, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ty Maloney. Well, welcome to the Redemptification Podcast. Um, I've got a great guest today. It's going to be a lot of fun. Rob Parker is the president of Trilla, which is a place where makers live, create, and inspire the world. It's a, it's a unique, amazingly designed, developed, and built 235-acre mixed-use commercial and residential development that's directly adjacent to the second largest film studio in North America. I met, I met Rob through the NTBA, the National Town Builders, and him and I just clicked. So many things he said had my heart humming like a tuning fork. And I always love to see people doing good work in the world, but doing it from a place of, of deep faith and of care for what they're doing. And, and one thing I can say about Trillis, even though I haven't been there, it takes love to build places like this. And I can see love all over it. And it's an incredible multidisciplinary project. Um, and I can't wait for you to hear more about it from Rob. Thanks for joining me. Hey, John, it's great to be here. Love talking about this special place. It's truly incredible. I'm not sure there's anything like it anywhere in America um, that has this kind of uh, location, this kind of placemaking and this kind of care with the kind of team you guys have. I mean, it's something very, very special. Well, we, uh, we feel very blessed to be, uh, to be able to do this. Uh, it is being described a little bit as kind of third generation new urbanism uh, as, as new urbanism in, as had evolved over the last 35 years, uh, you know, from what uh, was done in Seaside and there on 30A and, and, uh, and as it's progressed uh, for us, it's been an incredible opportunity to, to, to try to cluster creatives, uh, if you will, if you think about um you know, if you're into tech you, and you want a career in that or you want to engage that, you go to Silicon Valley. If, you know, if, if you're in the fashion, you got to end up in, in New York. If, if it's music, uh, you might go to uh, Nashville or to Austin. Uh, we wanted to create that kind of environment around uh, both the film industry, but more broadly, uh, creatives. Uh, and hmm. so we're kind of clustering uh, folks who uh, help us tell stories on a really big stage. And I can talk to you a little bit about the studios and what that means. Uh, but I would say that the foundation of it really is uh, this idea, uh, our chief visionary uh, who wanted to create an environment where we can love and serve the people who are telling stories on a very large stage around the world, which is, which is film. And there is no story medium that, is, that goes as broad and as far as these, uh, these, uh, these films that are literally go around the world. And so uh, he both founded a studio, which has become, as you described, the second largest in North America, will soon be probably the largest in the world. Uh, some of the biggest budget movies ever filmed. In fact, the two largest budget movies, the Avengers uh, 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 Infinity Wars um, and Endgame were filmed right here uh, on location. Wow. Uh, and so that was, uh, I think they were combined budgets of about a billion dollars. Uh, they filmed those two simultaneously uh, directly across the street. But Ant-Man and Captain America and Spider-Man and all those uh, and portions of Black Panther all filmed right here. Uh, and we get a chance to build a town, uh, not just a, not just a, um, 
I mean, we, we talked about it being a company town originally for the film studio, but it's gotten way bigger than that, John. And I'd love to tell you about why we're doing it and how we're doing it and, uh, and, and what it's been like. I'd love to hear that. I just think it's so interesting it, that how thoughtful you guys have been from the very beginning to, to know who, do you, you know, we always ask, who are you? Who do you serve? And then you can find how you're going to pay for it. But yes. you better know who you are and who you serve. And it sounds like you guys are really on target with that about who you serve and, and what your overarching why is, this huge why, to serve the people that make these stories happen and really impact the whole world. Well, some people have gotten involved in entertainment by creating content, you know, by doing films, by, uh, uh, you know, actually doing storytelling themselves. For us, it was uh, an investment in uh, the people who are making them and by shining a light into their lives, quite frankly, lives that are, that are often dark uh, and an industry that can be pretty dark. Uh, they're here on location, oftentimes uh, away from their families, uh, away from, uh, and filmmaking is a kind of a 14, 16 hour a day kind of, uh, kind of uh, adventure. Uh, and so it started there, just loving and serving. Uh, when I was challenged with what would we build, because we had 235 acres next to 700 acre studio, and we, it, was a, it was a wheat field. And so starting with a green field, uh, you know, green field, if you were given that challenge, what would you build? And so we went and looked at, <laughs> yeah, we went and looked at everything uh, uh, and new urbanism really caught our eye. We joined CNU and, and NTBA and I serve on that board now. I'm only five years into this uh, myself, uh, but it has become a passion. The questions I've been asking John is, and early on was, is there a better way to live? Uh, what's the what's the construct, the built environment, and the programming that happens in it uh, that creates that causes people to thrive and flourish? And then our target audience, which are creatives and, and a younger creative, because uh, we're really trying to lift up an emerging uh, a group of storytellers and leaders. Uh, what causes them to thrive and flourish? Um, and so, ultimately, I landed on this question that I'm trying to answer, which is: Can the built environment, intentionally built, strategically built, and intentional programming, can that cause people to live longer, healthier, better, more productive, impactful lives? And if we can do that, uh, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good mission. Uh, and so, and if we can transport that learning out to other people, we're not planning to do 10 of these, right? This is the one that we're focused on. And, but we'd love for it to be a bit of a laboratory. We don't call it a social experiment, but right. we're really kind of testing some things uh, in the built environment and in programming uh, uh, to do that. That's incredible. It really, and, and the, the fact that you guys are living so open-handed about it, hey, we're learning, we're trying, we're putting our time, energy, attention, writing checks with our life mm -hmm. to build something that will be quite unique and, and to serve Human flourishing, which is really, you know, our definition of flourishing in Opelika is when the people who have the least are experiencing the most. Mm. And it's really a goal to love a place. I said it's very expensive to love somewhere. Yes. Love is the most expensive four-letter word you can think of. Yeah. And so how does love show up in your community there? Like you're, I can't imagine the scale and the scope of your day <laughs> and your stuff going on. I mean, it, it, when I thought about it, a breaker trip, so I had to go reset yeah. it. So. How do y'all do that though? How do you love that place, those well, people, those buildings? Yeah, it starts with our chief visionary, 
uh, who uh, is a guy who, although he's leading, uh, you know, a, a multi-billion dollar company, uh, he says as his day job. Uh, and he's, uh, he's out here picking up trash and uh, caring for people and loving people in a way. In fact, he just spoke this morning to a group. Uh, we call it the construction meeting. Uh, it was six years, seven years ago when we started building the studio, there was a weekly construction meeting that really had men on their knees praying for help mm. from God to build this uh, and build it in record time. It needed to be done in, in six months, uh, their first five stages. It was a crazy timeline and there was already contracts signed. And so these guys are gathered and then that grew into inviting more and more people into and ultimately 200 to 250 people a, a week were coming into this. That's It's been going on now for over six years where on Wednesday mornings at 8.30, we gather, uh, and it so happens this morning, Dan Cathy, our chief visionary, was our speaker. Uh, he shared kind of the progress. And so it starts with him uh, as his, as his um, representative and as president of the, of the town at Trail. I have the privilege of executing on that, on that vision and that dream. So it comes from his passion and love for people, my passion and love for people. And then we've gathered a group of people who are uh, world class in their in their craft, uh, but also in uh, uh, with a chemistry and an alignment around uh, faith and values uh, that is reflected in everything that we do. And so Lou Oliver is our town planner and our town urbanist and incredibly designed homes, gorgeous. Uh, and, and I could go right down the list of, of people that, that God has brought together. By the way, incredibly diverse uh, views uh, and uh, views of the world, not all aligned exactly on the same faith path. Uh, and, uh, but many of us uh, just kind of pouring our lives into, into doing this. Uh, it's, and we haven't even said what it is really in detail, but I'll tell you quickly, our entitlements uh, for those that are in the development world, uh, it's 750 single family homes, um, 600 uh, multifamily, uh, that multifamily is three stories above ground floor retail. We've got about 60, 70,000 in, in ground floor retail. And then a total of 270,000 square feet of commercial office and retail. Uh, uh, two hotels, about 300 hotel rooms. Uh, a fitness and wellness center, which is about a 60,000 square foot kind of state-of-the-art uh, fitness and wellness center operated by Piedmont Hospital for us. Uh, luxury cinema. Um, we actually do some filming on this side of the street. Uh, we've got a stage that we built uh, that we call Town Stage that's on, on the town side. Uh, and uh, in fact, Family Feud is, is Steve Harvey's in there right now filming uh, a year's worth of episodes uh, this summer. Uh, and so um, it is all geothermal. I don't think I told you that. All the residences yeah. we use that, the ground to heat and cool our homes. Um, and so it's one of the quietest neighborhoods you could ever live in. There are no air conditioning, no compressors outside. Uh, wow. It's incredibly green. 51% of it's dedicated to green space. You either live on a park or within a block of a park. There's 19 parks in this 235 acres when we're fully built. Uh, so a, a commitment to, to sustainability, to green. Um, we know that our audience, our young creatives in particular, but creative, the creative class, they care about beauty. They are inspired by the outdoors. Um, they are uh, committed to uh, green, uh, green living, uh, but they also, uh, it can't be fully finished and it can't be plastic, it can't be fake. It's gotta be very authentic. 
by the way, really hard to create authenticity in a, in a green field that's all brand new and make it look like it's uh, uh, been there a bit. We won't, uh, I think people think maybe we're going to be um, Disney-esque or Epcot because of the film. And so we're really careful not to do that because of the film yeah. studio, it has to be authentic and real. Uh, so many stories to tell you about that. Uh, I've really kind of learned uh, over time how to create a certain amount of um, what I would just call patina uh, on a building that's brand new. So we, we, we built a, an office building with a brick off of uh, actually out of Valley, Alabama, uh, off of a, an old mill. Uh, and that brick was 110 years old. And uh, we carefully uh, brought that in and, 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 and did our, so we've let uh, green grow on the side of our houses. Uh, we, uh, we've let that, that mildew uh, stay on the house. Uh, we've done everything. We, we, we kind of will we'll whitewash a uh, brick and then we'll, we'll scrub some of that off. So it looks like it's been around a while. Uh, but uh, uh, so uh, I say authentic for us. I just don't want it to feel like it was just plastic and brand new. Uh, and so we're, uh, we're making every effort to kind of make it feel uh, real uh, and uh, at home for people. And it's really difficult. I mean, I tell people that, especially with the trades these days, the brick masons, the other guys, they're so used to building a certain way. It's almost like we're having to often teach guys, hey, whoa, 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 don't make those grout line looks like, look like this, or don't make the mortar look this way, tend a little bit. It is a bit of art to, to that part of it, especially getting the trades to feel comfortable and do it. And then I know you must have a little bit of struggle making these things affordable if you're making them this beautiful well i think part of the challenge is that you know if you're going to make it uh, beautiful you you were and we've committed to materials that one of our core principles is that we want this town to be better in 100 years wow. so think about that for a second what are the implications every day to our design and to our build quality if it's going to be better in 100 years and so it really you have to think totally different you can't think the way you were before right so it drives every decision and so it's primarily masonry and i'll just give you a quick example so for us that means if i'm going to do stucco i'm not doing stucco on wood i got to do it on block all right and if i'm going to do it on block I'm not gonna, and I don't want, and I wanna do it really well, then I don't want those kind of uh, seams that you normally would get that have to put into it. So <laughs> now my process is very different. And now it's kind of a seven layer process. And so now I have to have craftsmen who do stucco. And it's a right. smooth coat stucco that you look at it and that looks old world. It's just, you know, but- It's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> lots of rubbing though. Yeah, lots of rubbing. And, and you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. Is it. Worth it. Now, now, to your issue of uh, attainability and affordability, it's probably our biggest challenge. Uh, and I won't give that person credit because uh, I, I, I don't know if they want the credit or not, but I, I heard someone say that, you know, there is an answer to this. Uh, what he was sharing with is that great communities that are designed well, really great design, will ultimately be unaffordable because everybody will want to live there. And mm. as everybody wants to live there, the prices will go up. It'll be a, and you, there's nothing you can do to stop it. So, I mean, one of the persons in, the, in this group as we were doing a tour asked the question, well, what do we do about that? How could we stop that? He said, well, the only real answer is just poor design. You could do a really <laughs> bad job, <laughs> all right? And nobody would want it and nobody will live there and you won't have that problem. Uh, so for all of you out there that are concerned so about affordability, yeah, just do it really bad and nobody's <laughs> going to want it. But, you know, but seriously, 
uh, we've had to do some things to make it, uh, we stopped using the term affordable because right. affordable is a very loaded word. And, right. people, and people don't see that without bias. They see that yeah. with a great deal of bias. Absolutely. So for us, we started using the word attainable. And for us, Makes what that sense. means is that I can find a way. If I want to be in this community, I can find a way to get there. And we know that about the film industry, that if you want to get into the industry, you find your way there. And you right. get tables and you uh, room with, uh, you know, four other people that you may or may not like. You do whatever it is you have to do to get into the industry. And I think in the same way. So we were able to get... Uh, in our area, um, you could only, the smallest home you could build is a thousand square feet. We were able to get uh, that changed just for our development under our, uh, our master development agreement uh, for us to be able to build uh, as small as 350 square feet. So we've got uh, micro homes or tiny homes. Uh, we've said a lot about 550 square feet seems to be the sweet spot for us. And so we're building those and they've all sold immediately. Uh, and Quite frankly, they sold at a very high cost per square foot because everybody loves them. They're beautiful and they're built to, in the same quality to be better in 100 years. Wow. So, um, so then as those have become a challenge to become affordable because everybody loves them, they're, they're, they're beautiful. Uh, the multifamily has been our entry point for people. You can come and you can, and you can uh, lease here, you can rent here. Uh, we've said 20% of the neighborhood would be uh, given to event, investor units, but we wanted you know, at least 80% to be uh, homeowners who live there. Uh, and so then the other one was we got approved uh, to do accessory dwelling units, so ADUs. And so we have 100 ADUs that we can build. And these are guest houses uh, and flats uh, that are on a single family. So it's pretty unusual in an environment like ours to get, you know, entitlements for ADUs. Uh, so we have that. So we feel like between the multifamily, the tiny homes and the ADUs, there are ways that people, that starving artists, if you will, uh, can get can get here. They're still going to have to group up with a couple of people. To step up a little bit to get there, right? But yeah. they, they we also it. find that we all sacrifice for the things that we want, right? Uh, and Certainly. So, uh, no, I mean, it, 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 anything you don't that doesn't cost you anything, it's hard to say it's worth something. Um, so what does it look like? Like, what is a beginning home? Like, what can someone get in there generally on a home price, on a rent? Like, what, what, is, what does that look like? What does attainable look like? Yeah, for us, it is, uh, it, it's driven by the market. We're, we're, our homes are selling at about two and a half times the local market, though, because we've created this sense of place. And again, I'm back to if you want to live close to us, uh, and there are a lot of things around us that you can, you know, you can buy and be on five acres or two acres uh, for, you know, two hundred fifty dollars to $300,000, uh, you can come inside the town and be in a tiny home for about 200,000 uh, on 550 uh, in 550 square feet. Um, but being in the heart of walkability to restaurants, walkability to, uh, and this sense of community, et cetera. So it starts in the tiny homes in that two to 250,000 and then goes to custom homes, you know, upwards of 2 million. Uh, I would say one other thing, John, is that they're all located, uh, they're all mixed together. And so one of the things you'll see about this, there's no 300s, 500s, 700s, all of the homes, just like a town or city would develop. Uh, um, and so we have, I, I literally have a $2 million custom home sitting across the street from a $300,000 home uh, and they, they fit seamlessly together. Uh, that is awesome. Yeah. And it mixes, uh, 
so many other things. So when I talk about diversity and I am talking about race and orientation, et cetera, et cetera, but I'm also talking about uh, age and uh, uh, income. And, you know, you can't have a town of all just, people say, do you have to be in the film industry to live here? Well, wow, how boring would that be? Uh, you can't have all the same kind of people, right? Uh, right. So you've got to have uh, your uh, your teachers and your doctors and your uh, first responders, your your, your, heroes, your police, you know. and so uh, it's all mixed together. And then the multifamily uh, again, it's it's a market rate. Um, it's performing much higher than we ever anticipated because of the the special nature of this. So if you live in a, in a what we call our lofts, our multifamily above ground floor retail where you can walk right down to the coffee shop and the pizza shop and the, the, the bar and grill. There's a sense of community associated with that. And there's a, it's, it's, it's almost the urban surcharge that you have to pay to be close to that. You know? uh, and it, it, it's, you know, it's happened. So I think we, we thought those were going to be about $1.35 a foot. They're more like $1.85 a foot uh, just because of uh, the, the placemaking that's going on there. So. Well, and, and, and again, this is, this is something that matters to all of us. I mean, we all are, you buy the lifestyle you want, you make choices and sacrifices. And do you want, would you rather have something that's half the size and twice the care and love, or would you like to have twice the square footage and half the care? I mean, we're, we're balancing these all the time. All of us are as we build and make things. Well, you're right about that. For us, we, we've encouraged people um, to create incredibly uh, efficient homes. And so we design homes with what I would call five key steps for us. One is they're smaller footprint homes to begin with and really smartly designed open floor plans. Uh, but so we're using pure materials at the very beginning to even create it uh, and to heat it and cool it and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a smaller footprint home. Right. Um, secondly, we're sealing that envelope really, really well. And so we're building, uh, building with great materials and great windows and spray foam insulation and some really important things. Uh, we've added the uh, geothermal is not a choice for you. All right. So you, uh, some people, if we it's not an upgrade, it's the basic. It's, it, and you know what, if we gave it as an upgrade, then people would choose to get different kind of cabinets or uh, upgrade their countertops instead of understanding you know, uh, how important behind the scenes and down in the ground their geothermal is. So you add geothermal, uh, smart home technology, uh, all of the, uh, the, the, the Nest and, and uh, uh, you know, all of the uh, smart home technology. And then if you add solar, that fifth component, you literally, and battery packs, you could have a house that is net zero. Uh, and so, so you build a really nice house. And then, so in this smaller footprint home, and John, this is where philosophically we're coming at folks, we know that both empty nesters, working empty nesters, which is one of our targets, along with our next generation uh, emerging uh, and millennials, they, they want the same thing. They want a great home with walkability. They want to be able to lock and leave. They want somebody else to take care of everything on the outside, uh, which we do. Uh, and they want to be able to have, they want a I would say it this way, they want to invest less in their home and more in experiences and engagement with other people. And so we talk a lot about less is more. And mm. people say, well, what am I gonna do when guests come? I have a thousand square foot home and I have no place to put them. And that's when we say, well, you put them at the hotel that you can walk to. That's right. That's in right. The neighborhood. Uh, and so uh, we've had people bought into a smaller lifestyle. And I will tell you that those people come back time after time about all the stuff they had to give away and sell 
to get in the 1200 square feet and how they couldn't be happier uh, with their life. That's ah. more focused on people, less on stuff and kind of has opened space in their life. Uh, so that they're not, their stuff is not owning them anymore. Mm. Uh, they're owning their stuff and it's a lot less. A man that I really respect here in our town that created a barbecue concept, really great godly guy. And he would always say, John, be careful. Whatever you own owns a piece of you. And so many of us have so much. We have storage buildings and we have to get more storage buildings. And the weight of that stuff is like open browser windows on your computer. We don't realize it, but it is pulling us down. And, and really, you can simplify the multiply. And I think that's something that, that we're all learning. And, and I mean, I was talking to a, a good uh, mentor of mine and friend, Jess Carell, who I know Howard Dayton and you have a relationship. Well, Howard's yes. his mentor. And he said... Um, he said, John, you know, at some point, everybody de de brings everything down. They, they take their lifestyle and declutter it. They, they deleverage it. And so what y'all are doing, I think, is helping people get lighter earlier. I think, I think we are. You know, somebody recently, uh, in fact, just this past week, sent me uh, uh, two books that I'd already read uh, 15 years ago. Uh, but they felt like it was time for me to re read it again. Uh, and it was Bob, <laughs> Buford's, Bob Buford's halftime, you know, oh. uh, and this idea that, you know, we spend the first part of our life kind of searching for uh, success. And that's at some point, hopefully earlier in our life rather than later, we recognize that that is, that is unattainable and fleeting uh, and that we begin a search for significance. And uh, I'm reminded again uh, that uh, the earlier in life you can recognize uh, that, uh, the, the sooner you can start down a path towards that. Uh, in that, as I was reading that, he, he was uh, doing some interviews in a later book where somebody said, you know what, I think there's two more S's that I would add to that. He said, yes, there's a search for success, but before that is the struggle. And mm. all of us can relate to being in our, you know, our twenties and struggling towards success, right? Really struggling. So he said, I'd add struggle to ultimately succeed and then recognize that, no, it's not about that. And it, it is really about significance and then significance not really happening until you add this fourth one, which is surrender. And mm. when you finally surrender the things that you, the trappings of success, uh, that have kept you from significance or that hasn't been oriented towards significance. And when you surrender those and you open your hands up and allow God to put more in, you know, you know, you know that imagery that God can't put more in your hands if your hands are tight, uh, uh, clenched around the things that you've got. And so if you're hanging on to that stuff, nothing else can go into your hands. You're also squeezing the life out of whatever's in your, in your hands as you're, as you're hanging on to it. We know that about our kids. Right, you've got to hold them uh, with an open hand uh, and support them, but but have an open hand to it. So struggle towards success, significance with surrender as the ultimate that you're going to need to do. I, so that was the word that was kind of given to me this this past week. That's so powerful. It really is. I was talking to one to another guy, and he was telling me about the. You know, when do we do the greatest work in our lives and, and when do we have the most impact and the most influence? And he said, you know, John, my my thing and he runs a billion dollar company. He's a really incredible, godly man. He said, I believe this. I believe that 
that I've seen, it's in our 60s is the first place that that's the generation of our most success. He said, I think number two is your 70s. Number three is your 80s. And number four is your 50s. Okay. And I said, well, why does that, that, that seems crazy. He said, well, something I've learned by then, you have some competency, credibility, connection, and some cash. Mm-hmm. And he said, these things, if you if you do it well, it'll, it'll grow. And I, I watched that. I knew I got a chance to meet and spend some time with Mr. Truett before he passed away. And I thought at the, as I watched his life at the end, he was su- such profound words. I mean, he told my son, he said, son, do you want to have a good life? He said, yes, sir, I sure do. He said, well, then just follow the three M's. Who's your master? What's your mission? Who you going to marry? Mm-hmm. Did he get those three right? Everything else is going to work out pretty good. <laughs> well, he uh, he was such an incredible influence on Dan and, and, and Trudy and Bubba. And Dan is our two prisoner. And, and we see that reflected every day in, in how, uh, how that's approached. The, the idea that uh, that we can live lives of, of uh, impact um, and ultimately legacy uh, are really important as well here. And reminding people that they are creating a legacy, no matter what you don't, you can either set out and, and create an intentionally or unintentionally. <laughs> but people are going to remember you a certain way. Uh, and for us, I encourage people there. You know, I um, I just I would just encourage people that are listening that. I've had multiple different things in my life that have led me to this path. And it's only looking back that I can see how they're all interconnected. And they don't, if I were to describe to you where I started with my education and the path that I was on, you would say, how did you end up here? Uh, and I turned 60 uh, during COVID. Uh, so I'm, I'm in that. I'm just now getting to my. You got my, your toe right in that. Just, really? Just getting there. And I am nowhere near done. I, I am just now getting there and I can look at a lifetime experience in education, in coaching, in teaching, in the nonprofit world, in fundraising, in uh, service clubs, in uh, um, music entertainment, uh, in film, and now in town building. And you're like, how do those connect? Uh, there is a connectivity with my faith being kind of a th- uh, thread that threads it all together. It's about investing in people it's about creating a sense of community, whether it's in public housing and getting kids out of gangs and, and uh, uh, preventing pregnancy and that kind of thing, which is some early work, community development to town building here. Uh, there's, there's a thread that connects it all for me personally. Uh, and um, so I would say anybody who's wondering how they're, how, why are you where you are right now? And how did you get there? I was wondering at, that. Yeah. For you, I said, how did this guy get the, this seems like the dream job? Well, I don't know that it's a dream job. I'm loving it. Uh, but, you know, it always looks like a dream job from somebody else's job always looks like a dream job. Right. Uh, right. I'm, having, <laughs> I'm having a fabulous time, but, but there's also no shortage of challenges when you're building an entire town. Um, and to whom much is entrusted, much mm-hmm. is required. And, and instead of talking about what you have right to, we talk about the responsibility that yes. you walk under. And, and um, you know, me and Ash just tried to love a little place, this little town, Opelika. And I said, everything we went through, God knew we needed it to where we were going to. Yeah. And, um, and what ended up happening, now we get to help steward cities. And I think it was because of 25 years of faithfulness on 10 square blocks. That didn't look very, very big in the scheme of things. 
Oh, what do you do? I love this little place, just this <laughs> little place. And but you know, Bethlehem was a little place. This is good stuff came out of there. Well, I, I believe that absolutely true. I will tell you this though, too. Something I was taken with uh, before, you know, before COVID. Uh, you know, we know that on uh, that our we live in a very divided time. You know, in our lives uh, and and in our country. And I was I was had an opportunity to speak about it, and we were talking about how do we come together. And I was really kind of thinking and praying about what's my role. You know, things are so broken in D.C. You know, or, or nationally. Mm-hmm. And how do I fix that? What can I do? And do I run for office? What do I, you know, what can I do? And I, I was really touched with this uh, kind of, uh, this idea that that every uh, all politics are local and the real change happens locally. And I've been given a responsibility for my part of the world. And so as I marinated on that, I thought, okay, I just need to do what I can uh, with my responsibility that I've been given. And I guess what triggered for me is that if, if politics are ultimately all local, uh, love is too. Mm. And love is local. And I will tell you that I put that on a t-shirt because that will preach right there. Love is local. That will preach, brother. I'm yeah. just thinking my heart's coming again. Here you go. Yeah. So love is local says to me that all I have to do is love right here, the people around me and make their lives better. And like leadership, love is is highly leveraged all right you love people they will love others better and it will multiply and so for us this this means inviting people to your home that don't look like you and being involved in uh you know connecting with people that and and by the way not setting out to love them so that you can help make their lives better your life is going to be better when you set out to do this uh john as you know and so just loving, uh, loving people. Uh, and so in our community, we get a chance to do that. I just happen to have 235 acres and, and about 4,000 people that will ultimately live here. And I get to love them very specifically uh, in, in, our, in our space. And for a season and a reason. This is a season you will start and you will finish this thing. And, and this has divine design that you would be here at this time doing this thing. Um, it's not by chance. The Bible says all authority in heaven and earth is God ordained. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was this moment you had been prepared for to do it. And same thing with us. And I really consider it an honor and a privilege. I said, we do sophisticated real estate development with love. Mm-hmm. And that second part is the magic. There's right. a lot of sophisticated real estate developers, right? Right. But love is such a difference maker. It, uh, I said, if you cut God's finger off, it's a hunk of love. Yeah. I mean, love isn't what he does. It's who he is. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I love the things you gave me there. Those are strong as new rope. (laughs) But we talk about when people come to here from, uh, I'll just give you a quick example. They come here from California. They're from the film industry, right? They come here to shoot and they, they, they land in Atlanta and they see all the green. The first thing they're taking with is all the trees and the greenery, right? Because they just came from Los Angeles. (laughs) <laughs> they land at the airport and people greet them with Southern hospitality, you know, and they think we're a little weird because we make eye contact and we say howdy and we, we, <laughs> we love on them. And then they get here and they're treated with second mile service, which is the Chick-fil-A philosophy of how, you know, and, they, and they're getting my pleasure and they're getting refreshed and they're getting cared for. And then what they don't know is how richly God has, has in, blessed this area and and they're getting uh loved in a in a, a faith uh 
So then they're like, I think they think we're a cult or something. And they're like, <laughs> these people, they can't be real, right? It can't be real. Yeah. And they come back, but by the way, you, they fly home. And I, I, I lived in California for 10 years. I just know the experience of flying back into LAX and you see what you're headed back into. And it's all brown and desert. And there's a beauty to, to California. Right. There's also the, you know, in LA. And, and it's not the same thing. And then they come back here. And I think that's true for Alabama. I think it's true for the, the South in general. But I think it's true for anywhere and including huge pockets of this in California now where people are building community and, and loving people and where God's working and where churches are, you know, uh, are, are flourishing. So it's not about geography, but for us, um, there's an added sense of um, a sense of place that's very different for the people in the industry. Uh, I would just encourage anybody who's listening that you can create your special set of things that makes people say, wow, this place is different. I think I wanna, I wanna be here. I think people ultimately end up buying here not even knowing sometimes what they like about it. <laughs> I'll have what they're having. You know, I, I want some of that. So. When I said, if they don't want what we got, we gotta wonder what we have. Yes. I mean, and, and Ash says this hospitality, which is really what you're, we think God is hospitable and, and God loves hospitality. And Ash said hospitality to her is her definition is I thought of you before you got here. Mm. And she said, God anticipated us. And when we anticipate people's needs and love on them, it is such a catalytic experience to be loved on. No doubt. And, and, and if there's anything Chick-fil-A does well, and everybody in the industry, they get it. I mean, I asked Mr. True, I said, how'd you come up with this idea about this chicken sandwich, all this family? He said, listen, we're not in the chicken business. We're in the, we're in the um, loving on people business. We're in the trying. This may be the only time that someone feels cared for their whole day. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I think these biblical principles applied to physical work in place if if we can't plumb and do plaster and lay sod to the glory of god the whole thing falls apart for me that's right. i love the fact we can butchers bakers and candlestick makers are all making god real happy making that stuff yeah when they do it with him in mind i mean i think he said you know if you'll just keep uh seek me in all your ways then i'll make your path straight and so that's it's cool. amazing so Another I thought about this. What's a few big surprises that you found along the way? Just like little pockets of joy you found in this work of, of, of putting together something with such a great team. Yeah, I think the uh, the recognition I had, although I had built boys and girls clubs and camps and some other things, had done some kind of development projects that have a certain amount of legacy. I don't think I was ever really understood that the built environment is here for everybody to look at and see, and it's here for a long time. And if it's gonna be better in a hundred years. So I'm reminded that everything that we do, people are going to look at, evaluate and make a decision about how they feel about it. And so you, it's an opportunity to do something. So for, for me to, to answer that part of the question was how much care and thought really needs to go into something if people are going to love it. And mm. um, we, I was challenged uh, by, uh, we were often challenged by Dan with this question of, is it tweetable, Instagrammable? Will somebody want to take a selfie with what, you're, with what you're designing and building? And not everything can be that because there has to be a backdrop for the great things right. to show up. 
But um, so have we thought enough about it? So just as an example, we did a dog park and we designed it and the dog park was good. It's where dogs go and hang out. I thought it was pretty good. And he said, what's, uh, what's tweetable about it? And it's like, um, okay. And so we went back to the drawing board and now we have one of the most photographed uh, and, and quite frankly shared on Instagram uh, dog parks uh, that you could imagine. And it's because people love and care about their dogs and they love and care about this space and the together it's something really, really special. So, uh, you know, so I, I would say the impact of a really well-designed space, uh, I would say taken with the joy of creating public space that people love. Um, mm. We talked a lot about, we all talk about walkability. Uh, I've been taken with this idea of what I just call sitability is can you, can you create environments where people want to linger? And um, this goes counter, in, especially in the town center, to where the only place to sit typically is where you're spending money. And it's great real estate, but think about it. In most places, if you're not, you know, drinking, you're not paying, eating, you're, not paying. You're, you're not sitting. And we said, can we turn that on its head and can we create public spaces, including in the town center where people can sit and linger without paying. And what, what it's created then is a sense of people being in places, which gathers other people, which creates this sense of community. And so, uh, so the, the joy of, of, of kind of creating uh, great outdoor spaces um, and then seeing it populated. Um, I think probably the other thing is how design intentional design can create collisions of people that are positive collisions. And so where you place the dog park, where you place the mailboxes, how we get our mail, how it drives people. We talk about the mailbox and it, it, the mailboxes are a center of activity for people. And it's the journey to the mailbox that is where the collisions happen, not necessarily at the mailbox. We say it's a two minute walk to the mail and it's a 45 minute journey. All right, because uh, you cannot in this community, you cannot stop, you cannot not stop and talk because we greet everybody and it's become part of how we are. They know each other. I will say as a side note, it's safety and security at its highest point when you know the people that are there, when you greet everybody that you see on the street mm -hmm. and you notice who doesn't belong um, because you don't know them. And so you introduce yourself and you find out that they're new or you find out that they know they, they don't live here. Uh, so anyway. Uh, Sounds like an extrovert heaven. It is absolutely. <laughs> and we tell people if they're going to get a workout, they're headed yeah. out to work, you better put headphones on and make no eye contact because that's the only way you're going to get a, you're gonna get a <laughs> workout. So those are some of the things. Uh, my, uh, I'll tell you quickly, my, my mom moved in with us here in town and we lived uh, and this, the, our porches are right on the street, intentionally designed to connect you with uh, the people on the street. Mom would sit there crocheting and I would do tours and show people town and they would say, they, they thought she was at, straight out of central casting, 92 ah. years old, sitting on our front porch, greeting everybody and talking ah. to everybody. But she lived only here six months and it was the sixth greatest, I, she would say the most beautiful months of her life where she was loved. We called her the honorary mayor. Uh, it, but it was this engagement between the public space, which was or the private space, which is intentionally designed to create a connection to the public uh, and this intersection. By the way, we have private courtyards and other space because you don't always want to be out 
you know, out front. But um, in answer to your question, the I'm just private space is, is everywhere now. It's the disconnection to the public space is the unique longing, especially after COVID. Right. We miss being with people. I mean, we we thought it was it was just a part of life, and then we realized it was actually a blessing and something to be grateful for. Well, getting out of our car was the other thing I'd say. Everything's alley fed, and we put our cars away. Uh, the architecture is beautiful because you don't see any garage doors. Uh, they're all hidden behind. Uh, and also the automobile, it just becomes, you know, uh, uh, it's not a feature uh, like it is in most of our suburban homes where we stick the garage out front uh, and come and go. So I think getting people out of their cars on the street, uh, uh, engaging with each other, was probably like the, the biggest um, uh, joy to watch. It's awesome. Engineered serendipity of some sort. So I love it. What about the biggest challenge? Yeah, uh, I would say very specific to my challenge and some some of others would face that if you have a developer, a visionary who has a sense of urgency and wants it now. Uh, my biggest challenge has been uh, the pace at which we've done this and we've done it in four years and have accomplished it. We've sold our 200th home. We've got half the town built and everybody that comes here says, how did you do that so fast? And our chief visionary says, why is it taking so long? And so I would say the biggest challenge has been to, to, to meet the expectations of someone who appropriately wants this and wants it now. And, and so this, uh, balancing the um, expectations of a, a driven chief visionary uh, who's doing his role exactly right by driving us, you know, that way uh, <laughs> and managing those expectations. Uh, and then I would say, and this is uh, for those of you that are the building community, just to be aware of that as you love and treat people really well and create special places for them, you also create an unintended consequence of entitlement <laughs> and, <laughs> and they become and, and, and high expectations. And so we just continue to raise the bar. We continue to meet those expectations. And quite frankly, we have to have hard conversations that say, you know what, you really need to chill because you've got it way better than you than anywhere else on the planet. Uh, but we, there's this expectation that it's always going to to uh, to be uh, to be special. Um, I don't think you lower that bar. Uh, I just think you have to have tough conversations from time to time. Well, the first time they experienced you, their expectations were probably low and you brought them to this amazing place. Well, now their expectations is amazing place. And they're asking you, can you take me further? And so, you know, that you go to that restaurant you've never been to before and it's amazing. You thought it was going to be junky. You're blown away. You tell everybody. Next time you go back, they can't be like they were. They got to raise the, the game a little bit. That's the right? repeatability of excellence that Chick-fil-A has mastered and your expectation is very high every time you go in and it's met when you go in. It's very unusual to not be met. Uh, and they were just named number one in customer service again. We just came out uh, yesterday uh, at all quick serve restaurants. And that, so part of the challenge yesterday, which the, the challenge is to, to live up to that kind of expectation. And to do it in a setting where it's not for 30 minutes while you're in the store, it's for 24 uh, seven. So, <laughs> uh, but we, we, we embrace that challenge, uh, but it's messy people where people live. Uh, it's handmade. You're making Ferraris. It's not like it's in a factory. You're making these things. And these people are here and they don't, Oh, I'll tell you the biggest challenge was they, they were here for a year 
They didn't go anywhere. They didn't leave because it was COVID. Now so it, they was were... the best, it was the best place to do COVID. I mean, it was like being at summer camp. All right. Uh, but uh, at summer camp, the end, the weekends and you go home <laughs> and the counselors <laughs> get a break. Uh, <laughs> but, but uh, I'm the camp director and the camp counselors and we're pretty worn out. Uh, but no, it's been, it's been fabulous. Well, it's, it's an amazing thing. I, I, as I just think about like, how do you keep all these subs and, and all that's going on? I mean, it seems like where do you, how do you keep people's construction going and people living next door? How do you coordinate and communicate with the subs in a way that helps you, I mean, keep that going without people wanting to, 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 to just all the time be upset. Yeah. Well, in the residential area, we have, um, we have a builder's guild and we only recruit, I mean, just like Chick-fil-A, we only recruit the best. And so we've got great builders and we've challenged them to raise the bar and get, and have the best possible subs. Subs are the hardest. Uh, and with, uh, as the labor market's gotten tighter and tighter, it's been harder. Uh, I think we've managed expectations with our people. We've encouraged them. I have, I have residents who have embraced this philosophy that we've, we've asked them to embrace, which is every, every sound of a hammer that you hear represents progress towards the town being completed. And every messy street that you see is one step closer to this town, this dream. Uh, and so that's hard when it's 7 a.m. and that you know they start they start building or it's you know it's eight o'clock on Saturday morning uh, and somebody's uh, building right next to you. I'm not saying it's easy, but I say it, if if we can get everybody to stay focused on the ultimate objective, the vision of where we're headed, that they're part of it and that they are sacrificing right now. And we, and we have said, you will get a nail in your tire. And I am so sorry, but some at point, you're gonna get a nail in your tire and you have a choice. You can be mad at us and you can be unhappy and you could, you know, uh, and you could shake your fist or you can recognize that that's a nail that didn't make it into the house, but that house is getting built and, you're, and, and the progress is happening. And so it's kind of a shift in how we, how we view and think. And, I would say a, the, a large percentage of our people have responded. I, I've always said this. If you raise the bar for people, if you raise expectations for people, people will respond. If you can reframe that same thing, that nail in my tire is either the worst thing that ever happened in my day or the ability to smile and say, you know what? Those nails are going to be gone soon because that house next to me is going to be done. And I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a new neighbor. You know, so I don't know if that makes sense to you or if it sounds. It makes great sense. Yeah, I mean, I remember my, my trainer said this that helped me one time. He said, John, there's going to be a day that you don't want to train. Mm. You're going to be, it's just going to be too much. You're not going, that's the day you have to do it. Mm. Yeah. And I said, I'm so glad you told me. Mm. Because when I got to it, that day I happened to run my fastest time ever. And so on my worst day, I did my best. And sometimes that happens. And so it's just a great thing, like you laying this out in the beginning. I think such care and thoughtfulness to do that, to, to know these issues are going to happen and know that, you know, you, you need to go ahead and frame it. So what a great job. So we'll land with a couple of questions at the end that we always, I could talk to you for hours and hours. We'll definitely have to have you back. And I'm coming with our, our folks to see you at Trillith. And I encourage people that want to know what it could be like to live there. If you're going to live in around Atlanta. This is a place you need to be looking at. This is um, what we've coined as irreplaceable real estate, which is 
just unique in love and care. And, um, and, and, and that makes things irreplaceable when you have this kind of programming and care and love and building all the teams. So here's one. Who do you know that we should know? Who's doing some good work in the world that you'd say, hey, you need to, you need to recognize these guys? Now, I'm going to go right real close to home. Truett Cathy and Dan Cathy have done something really special. If you have not studied what Chick-fil-A did, how 75 years ago, you know, they, this thing started and how humbly it started and how with nothing um, they created this, um, this multi-billion dollar company and the principles that drive it. Uh, and they're quite frankly, uh, I, I tell you to go start with their corporate purpose, search out Chick-fil-A's corporate purpose, read that, and then understand uh, the success that they've had. Uh, and then, and then there are some, there are half a dozen books written by people associated with it, including books written by Truett, by Jimmy Collins, who was the president uh, for a season, uh, for a long season. Uh, and so I would say really close to home, pay attention to what, uh, what God is doing through by the way, in six days a week, uh, what other restaurants can't possibly achieve in seven. Uh, and so, by the way, Sunday is one of the biggest restaurant days. And, you know, uh, so yeah, uh, I, I would start right there. Awesome. So what have you read that we should read? What's a book? You mentioned some books earlier. We'll include those in the, in the link. But what have you read recently or that really impacted you? Yeah, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say that, you know, rereading something that's that's not brand new was really important to me. I'm going to go uh, to halftime and uh, there's a couple of follow up books uh, stuck in halftime and uh, and and um, this idea of finishing well. And I'm going to encourage people to do that, even if you've read it, go back and revisit it, because if you're 40 or 50 or 60 or even 80 and you want to have a deeper impact, you want to get charged up again, uh, I'd encourage you uh, to do that. Um, awesome. This so idea where of have... well, finishing well is, is um, something I'm challenged with right now. There's a lot of people that in the Bible that screwed up in the last part of their life, right? <laughs> and and uh, who went sideways at, at the end. And so I encourage people to think about, about finishing well. So John, you, you had a third question. That's also, and I, I just to, to riff off of that just a minute. You're right. I mean, it's 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 easy at, at any given point. Any of us stands the potential of going stupid. Mm -hmm. We can do it. Mm -hmm. And so, one thing about we use a method on our whole building is called the momentum momentum method, and it's how we build momentum. We say it starts with vision. Number two, strategy. Number three is team and roles. Number four is alignment. Number five execution but number six is my most exciting part which is not just success but succession mm -hmm. we said if you want to be a success you better have successors mm -hmm. you need to invest into others if you mentor someone you should hope they're more successful and more impactful than you in their life and so interesting that the question we ask ourselves to keep ourselves on the right path is what could we do for the good of the place we're working in our city that would last 50 years for its flourishing and no one could undo it. And when we find that, go big on it. So last question, where have you been? What have you visited that something you, where you've been that we should go or something we should do? 
Yeah, that's going to be my toughest one uh, because uh, for five years I haven't gone anywhere because I, <laughs> I've, been, I've been right here. Actually, that's not true. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna give you a specific place. I'm gonna challenge okay. you to travel in general. Uh, and I really wish I could remember the quote, but there is a Mark Twain quote, quote that says that uh, travel is, um, you know, it, it is absolutely the antidote to racism, bigotry, uh, uh, and and half a dozen other things that you can mm. think of. That being where people, you know going to where people are experiencing life, experiencing uh, the world differently uh, is, uh, is absolute an, an antidote to those. So the challenge that we've been given uh, again by our chief visionary is to go and see and then bring back ideas. And uh, he does that regularly, uh, Dan does that regularly. We have been challenged uh, to do that. So I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna say, I mean, the places that, that have impacted me just in the last few years, going to Seaside, and understanding what the whole 30A experience was, Haversham, uh, uh, going to Los Angeles and looking at the Grove and Americana at Brand and seeing how they they gather people together. Uh, here in Atlanta, just going up to Avalon on the north side of Atlanta and seeing how they've created something and what's special about that. Uh, and then I think probably just as importantly, getting into the, the sides of town that you typically wouldn't go to. And I would say probably the most impactful is what's happening on the west side of Atlanta, uh, where uh, you know the birthplace of the civil rights movement happened, uh, and um, and seeing what uh, we, you know and experiencing what we're doing in a sense of community through through uh, the lens of other people's eyes. So long answer to your question, uh, I'd say get out and travel and see. I love it. It's it's what I tell people. I said if you want to know if if God is working and if we're doing work better than we can do, come and see. Yeah. That was one of Jesus' big things, just come and see. So, and I'd say come and see Trillis too. I can't wait to come and see Come on and see, see us. Trillis. We'd love to host you. We love showing up, showing it to people. Yeah. Well, thank you for your encouragement today. Thank you for your faith and the and the and just the integrity y'all do things with. Um, we're grateful to have y'all doing the work and pioneering a new way of looking at community. And uh, it's great to, to have a few minutes with you. I'll have all the show notes. We'll have the links to everything where you can check this out. Rob, I hope you have a great day and thank you for sharing with us. And God bless. If this has added value to you guys, make sure you share it. I'd love for um, people to know more about what we're doing here, interviewing and, and asking questions of some of the most unique people in this industry who really say, how do I take the things that I love and put them into the work that I'm doing in the world, doing good work. And so, we're uh, in the business of redeeming people in place. And so it's great work to do.